10 Cool Facts You Don't Know About America. Mr. Reagan. Number 10. George Washington was not the first president of the United States of America. I know, I know, you're sitting there skeptical. You're thinking, no, I know this. George Washington was the first president of the United States of America. This is indisputable fact. But he wasn't. It was a guy you've never heard of. His name, John Hansen. I can tell you still don't believe me. But think about this. America declared independence on July 2nd, 1776. I know it's not July 4th, but that is a whole other thing. Anyway, we declared our independence on July 2nd, 1776, and George Washington became president on April 30th, 1789. 1789. That's 23 years after we declared our independence. So what's going on here? And how is it possible that none of us know who the first president of the United States of America is? Well, it's because the U.S. Constitution, the one that we use today was only ratified in 1788. Before that, we had a different constitution. It was called, as most of you probably know, the Articles of Confederation. It was an inferior constitution, and so I guess we just don't count any of the presidents who served during that period. But they were presidents of the United States of America, and they were loyal patriots and generally awesome guys. We all know Washington and Jefferson and Franklin, but a lot of these guys are the other men that we're talking about when we say the Founding Fathers. Sadly, they've mostly been forgotten to history. John Hansen was made president in 1781 after the ratification of the Articles of Confederation. John Hansen, a Swedish-American, was chosen unanimously by Congress to be the first president of the United States of America under the Articles of Confederation. There is some dispute about whether John Hansen should be recognized as the first president, however, as there was already a man in office when the articles were signed, a man by the name of Samuel Huntington. As the president of the Continental Congress, he was a sort of default president of the country under the new government, but historians generally confer the honor to Hansen, as he was the first president to be elected after the articles were ratified. This is two years before we actually won the Revolutionary War, by the way, so they were apparently confident that America was going to win. Either that, or as the war took eight years, maybe they thought, this is taking too bloody long. We really just need to get on with it. The Great Seal of the United States was designed for President John Hansen, the same one that we use today. Hansen established the Treasury, the Department of Foreign Affairs, and the Secretary of War, which we now call the Secretary of Defense. He also established Thanksgiving as the fourth Thursday of November, a tradition that we keep to this very day. Between John Hansen and George Washington, there were six other presidents of the United States of America under the Articles of Confederation. Their names were Elias Boudinot, Thomas Mifflin, Richard Henry Lee, Nathan Gorman, Arthur St. Clair. Ashley, this might be your ancestor. You should probably check that out. And a man named Cyrus Griffin. How cool is that guy's name? Cyrus Griffin. I kind of just want to look him up just because of his awesome name. So there were seven presidents before George Washington. And some people count 14 because before John Hansen, there were seven other presidents of the Continental Congress, which was a society of men organized to represent America against the oppression of the British Parliament. And it was these men who eventually designed and executed the plan to declare independence and start their own country our country, the best country in the world, the United States of America. Their names were Peyton Randolph, Thomas Jefferson's second cousin, Arthur Henry Middleton, John Hancock, who you will remember was the first to sign the Declaration of Independence, a bit ostentatiously, but we'll let that slide, Henry Lawrence, John Jay, Samuel Huntington, and Thomas McKeon. These 
are all amazing men, the founding fathers who have gone mostly unrecognized by Americans. Until today, because today we recognize the awesome achievements of these early forgotten presidents. Gentlemen, we salute you. Coming up, school children used to recite the Pledge of Allegiance with a Nazi salute. But first, I have to sell you something. You know the biggest fear that people have in situations like the one now with the stock market? It's not actually losing money. You'd be surprised. No, the biggest fear is losing their status with their family and their friends. Those people who've always looked up to you. The idea of working at the checkout at your local supermarket when all your old friends are playing golf or on vacation like you used to be, that is soul-destroying. Gold has risen. You ignored it and you lost out. This has been on the cards for a while now, and this bull market in gold actually started in 2015. But if you didn't take action before, it's not too late. Putting some precious metals into an IRA or 401k rollover gives you a safety net against anything bad that's coming. Or you might just have some cash sitting in the bank making less than one half of 1%, and you've been meaning to move it into something different. Get gold or silver into your hands. Noble Gold has helped thousands of clients just like you. Call them now at 877-646-5347. That's 877-646-5347, or hit the link below and see how they can help you. Number nine, Donald Trump is actually the 44th man to be president. Now, everybody always calls Trump 45. There's even merchandise to this effect. If you look at any authoritative document or website, I imagine you'll see the number 45. Even his enemies call him 45. Impeach 45 every day. Impeach 45 every day. Impeach 45 every day. And yet, 44. How is this possible? Because of this man, Grover Cleveland. Grover Cleveland was the only president to serve two non-consecutive terms as president. He was the 22nd president, and he was the 24th president. Cleveland was a Democrat, and he was defeated after his first term by Benjamin Harrison, a Republican. But Cleveland came back after Benjamin Harrison proved an unpopular president because of, get this, unprecedented government spending. <laughs> so the country re-elected Grover Cleveland. Then there was this big economic recession that was really nobody's fault, but it destroyed the Democrat Party at the time and got William McKinley in office, who was again a Republican. So yeah, thanks to a volatile time and Grover Cleveland taking his revenge against Benjamin Harrison, Trump is categorized as the 45th president but is actually the 44th man to hold the office. Number eight, a high school kid designed the current American flag. So this is a pretty cool story. It's 1958, Lancaster, Ohio. This kid, Robert Heft, is assigned a patriotic assignment in his American history class, appropriately named as he was a bit of a hefty kid. It's so weird how, like, High school kids back then looked like they were 45 years old. So anyway, this kid knows that Hawaii and Alaska are going to be added as states, right? So he gets his family's American flag with 48 stars on it at the time because we only had 48 states. And he cuts all the stars out and obviously finds two more stars somehow. And he rearranges them so that there's 50 stars on the flag. He then hands this flag in as his assignment and his teacher gives him a B-. The teacher, Stanley Pratt, thought that the flag wasn't particularly original or creative or whatever, and, I mean, can you blame him? This is the old 48 star flag, and then this is Robert Heff's redesign. 
I mean, it's a natural progression, of course, pretty obvious, but still, I mean, what else was he going to do? <laughs> so anyway, the teacher says to Heft, I think probably joking, if you can get this flag adopted as the official new flag, I'll raise your grade to an A. So Heft actually goes ahead and starts calling his congressman, and this congressman, Walter Moeller, I think it's pronounced, he actually submits the flag for consideration. What a cool congressman. So then a little while later, Heft gets a phone call, and it's Dwight Eisenhower. And Dwight Eisenhower is like, we're going to use your flag as the official flag of the United States of America. So, yeah, that's how a high school student designed the current U.S. flag. Oh, and yes, Mr. Pratt did change Robert's grade to an A. Number seven, there is a $10,000 bill. Now, the U.S. stopped printing these in 1945, but this was the largest bill ever minted for circulation. And the crazy thing is, you can still spend these as legal currency today. The $10,000 note was first issued in 1918, and it does not feature a dead president or founding father, but rather... Salmon P. Chase. Chase was a U.S. Secretary of the Treasury during the Civil War, and he introduced the first modern banknotes, which were called greenbacks, to the country. Chase was a pretty awesome guy who should be better known to history. Before becoming treasurer, he had also been governor of Ohio and a U.S. senator, and eventually he became the Supreme Court Chief Justice. He's one of just a few people to serve in all three branches of the federal government. Chase was a fierce abolitionist, and he was even nicknamed Attorney General for Fugitive Slaves. He was one of the first prominent Republicans and key to the founding of the party. He even ran for president in the first Republican primary, but he lost to Abraham Lincoln. He did end up supporting Lincoln in the general election, naturally. In short, this man deserved to be on the $10,000 bill. The bank J.P. Morgan Chase was named after Salmon P. Chase, although oddly, he never actually had anything to do with the bank whatsoever. J.P. Morgan, of course, did have something to do with it. J.P. Morgan is a fascinating man as well for many reasons, not the least of which was that he was the inspiration for the Monopoly guy. All right, now back to the money. Now, it's estimated that about 350 $10,000 bills still exist today. And as I said, you can still use them as legal currency. But if you find one, don't use it for that. The These rare $10,000 bills can be worth as much as $140,000 today to collectors, depending on the condition. So I don't suggest going and trading it in to your local Wells Fargo for smaller bills. Number six, the president of the United States of America is the deadliest job in the world. Logging, 0.13% fatality rate. Fishing, 0.12% fatality rate. U.S. president, 18% fatality rate. No joke, there have been 44 U.S. presidents. Eight of them have died in office. Now, most presidents are pretty old, so you might think, okay, sure, but being president, pretty stressful job, I imagine it contributed significantly to their demise. Anyway, only four of them actually died of natural causes. The other four assassinated Garfield, McKinley, Lincoln, and Kennedy. And they almost got Reagan. So, you know, pray for Trump. That's all I'm saying. Number five, the Statue of Liberty is actually located in New Jersey. I know what you're saying. What? No, the Statue of Liberty is in New York. But look at this map. The Statue of Liberty is on the New Jersey side of the state line. I can hear minds being blown all over America. So why do we all think that the Statue of Liberty is in New York? Well, because it is, sort of. It's in New York 
in New Jersey. What does that mean? Well, in 1834, a contract was ratified by Congress between the two states that says that Liberty Island is in New York territory, even though it's on the New Jersey side of the state line. So Liberty Island is part of the borough of Manhattan. So the Statue of Liberty is in New York, in New Jersey. So this begs the question, is Lady Liberty a New Yorker or is she a Jersey girl? I'll let you decide. Number four, the US flag's design was derived from George Washington's coat of arms. George Washington was born in 1732 in Virginia, but his ancestral home was called Soulgrave Manor in Soulgrave, England. Soulgrave Manor has been turned into a beautiful museum today that you can visit, and they even fly the American flag there in honor of George Washington. George Washington's earliest known ancestor was called William de Hertburn. William de Hertburn was a sort of lower-ranking nobility, and he was given a lordship over a region known as Wessington. So he would have been known as Lord Wessington. And so at some point, either by choice or simply by habit, the name de Hertburn was dropped and the family became known merely as the Wessingtons. So Washington was originally pronounced Wessington. Imagine if that if it never had evolved into Washington, right? It seems kind of weird to think that it would be Wessington, D.C. or Wessington State. Sounds a lot more English to me somehow. I don't know. Another spectacular fact is the design of the Wessington coat of arms. And here we have it at Soulgrave Manor, the coat of arms prominently displayed above the door. How cool is that? Now, there are several depictions of the Washington coat of arms. Here's an engraving, which is one of my favorites. And then there's this stained glass window. The city of Washington, D.C. adopted the Washington uh, family coat of arms as their flag in 1938, and you can see it displayed on their license plates today. Now, there's a lot of controversy around the claim that George Washington's family coat of arms inspired the stars and stripes that we know on Old Glory. Uh, and this is because, according to the naysayers, there's no actual evidence of this. But I'll give you the facts and I'll let you come to your own conclusion. But in order to make an informed decision, you need to know this. George Washington did use his family coat of arms during his lifetime. It was on his stuff. It was on his coach. It was on his mirror. And it was in his house. Have a look at this. This is George Washington's fireplace in the front parlor at Mount Vernon. If we zoom in, it's the magnificent Washington coat of arms. He was proud of this. He displayed it prominently. So everybody who knew George Washington, anybody who had visited his home, they would have been familiar with this coat of arms. And apparently Betsy Ross and her first husband, John Ross, they owned an upholstery business and they happened to go to the same church as George Washington and they knew him and his family. So the Ross family tradition is that George Washington and Betsy Ross collaborated on the flag design and came up with the Betsy Ross flag. Now, that said, many historians dismiss this as a family legend, and they attribute the Betsy Ross flag design to a man named Francis Hopkinson. This was a member of the Continental Congress, and he designed the first American coins known as the Nova Constellatio. He also designed the first continental paper money and the Great Seal of the United States that we use today. And that seems pretty convincing. I feel like this is probably right. The Francis Hopkinson theory is also the only one for which we have physical evidence. He submitted a bill for the flag design to Congress asking for, quote, a quarter cask of the public wine. Now, I used to do graphic design, and compared to some of the compensation I got for my work, quarter cask of wine, 
Totally reasonable. Now, here's the flag that was used before and during the Revolutionary War. It was called the Grand Union Flag. Obviously, it was a sort of mashup of our current flag and the Union Jack, the flag of the United Kingdom. The Union Jack part was, of course, eventually replaced with the stars. And there's no question that Francis Hopkins liked putting stars on stuff. But Francis Hopkins preferred the Estwall. This is a six-pointed star, which is kind of like wavy. And if you look at his family coat of arms, you can see why. He put the six-sided star on just about everything he designed, including this first U.S. flag design. However, we don't use a six-sided star on our flags, do we? No, we use a five-sided star. So look, it's not conclusive evidence that George Washington's family coat of arms inspired elements on the American flag, but everybody who knew him would likely have been familiar with his family coat of arms. So maybe, just maybe, we have five-pointed stars on the American flag because of George Washington's family coat of arms. Maybe. I, I like to believe it. Number three, school children used to recite the Pledge of Allegiance with a Nazi salute. Okay, so this is a kind of a controversial way of putting this because this is a salute that we now associate with the Nazis, and that's why I've characterized it this way, obviously. But before the Nazis ruined everything, this was a fairly common salute that lots of places adopted, including the United States. Our salute was called the Bellamy Salute. It was decided on by Francis Bellamy, the man who wrote the Pledge of Allegiance. The Pledge of Allegiance was originally written in a popular children's magazine called the Youth's Companion. Bellamy was part of a movement called the Schoolhouse Flag Movement. The aim was to get a flag flying above every school in the country. The pledge specifically was written in 1892 as part of the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus reaching the Americas in 1492. Big Columbus Day celebrations were being held throughout the country that year. Because remember, this was back when Americans had a universal sense of patriotism. Ironically, Bellamy was a socialist, but this was in the 19th century before the evils of socialism were well understood. His heart, I think, was in the right place. Number two, American Indians were brutal savages. Okay, obviously I'm being a little bit provocative there. And look, obviously not every Indian was a brutal savage, but many absolutely were. And the truth about that has been lost somehow in our woke, modern world of make-believe. I mean, for this segment, I read a lot of historical accounts and... Man, there are some crazy savage things that Indians did. Today, Hollywood represents Native Americans as peaceful people, at one with nature, wise and kind. In the deranged minds of leftist filmmakers, everybody that white people have ever interacted with throughout history must universally be depicted as perfect. Whilst the white man is, in contrast, depicted as power-hungry, stupid, cruel, filthy, and violent. <laughs> turned Indian, didn't you? This is totally a historical. In one historical account from 1642 from a Jesuit missionary named Jacques Buteau, the Iroquois had snuck into an Algonquin camp and slaughtered the men as they slept. They then tied up the women and children. Buteau recorded the event from the account of one Algonquin woman 
who managed to escape. She said the following, Seeing themselves victorious, the Iroquois prepared their supper in the house of the vanquished. They dismembered those who they had just slaughtered and cut them into pieces and threw the feet, legs, arms, and heads into the pot, which they then set to boil with joy. The women and children wept bitterly. When the supper was cooked, these wolves devoured their prey. In a word, they ate the flesh of men with as much appetite as, and with more pleasure than, hunters eat that of boar or a stag. Among all the captive women, we were three who had each a little child of about two months old. They took our little children and placed them on spits and held them to a fire and roasted them before our eyes. They looked at us and cried with all their might. Our hearts were broken when we saw them roasting all naked before the slow fire. Kill them, we cried. Kill them, wretches that you are. What have these poor little innocents done to you? They had no pity. They laughed at our tears. They are not men, they are wolves. After they had put the poor babies to death by fire, they drew them off the spit to which they were fastened, threw them in their kettles, boiled them, and ate them in our presence. And this Algonquin woman who had escaped, she'd had both of her thumbs hacked off. And about this, she said, when they had cut them off, they wished to force me to eat them. But I put them on my lap, and I told them that they could kill me if they liked, but that I could not obey them. Delightful. Eventually, as we know, the Europeans defeated the Indian tribes, and treaties were signed that allocated certain lands specifically for the Indians called reservations. At that time, the tribes were incredibly small, but this was not because the white man slaughtered them, like some people think, but from disease. It's estimated that 90% of the entire Indian population in North America died from European disease. Tragically, they just had no immunities to the viruses Europeans had brought with them. In exchange, they gave Europeans syphilis, which killed an estimated 5 million people throughout Europe. Europeans did not intentionally affect Indians with smallpox. The smallpox blanket story is nonsense. Although smallpox blankets were apparently used a few times, they were given to Indians in order to infect warring tribes, Indians in North America already had been dying from smallpox for over 200 years before that. So the blankets were never the cause. Hollywood wants you to believe that the evil white man slaughtered the noble American Indians. It just didn't happen that way. Were the US politicians and military all perfect human beings? No, of course not. But neither were the Indians. There were a lot of bad dudes going around doing a lot of bad stuff on both sides. The Indians were often brutal savages. And look, I should say, there were a lot of good innocent Indians, and there were a lot of good innocent white settlers. History is just way more nuanced than American schools or Hollywood would have you believe. Number one, Abraham Lincoln is in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. I will be the goddess of the squared circle. No, not that Wrestling Hall of Fame, although I imagine one day the current president will be in that one. Abe Lincoln competed in the type of wrestling you might have participated in when you were in high school or you might watch in the Olympics. And apparently he was amazing. His record, 299 to one. That is pretty crazy good. He was reported to be able to outrun, outlift, outwrestle, and throw down any man in Sangamon County, Illinois. It's weird, right? I always thought of Lincoln as like this tall, gawky, nerdy type guy, but apparently he was a badass. Probably should be played by Liam Neeson in the next movie. He was also a trash talker. He once, <laughs> he once shouted out to a crowd, I'm the big buck of this lick. Any of you want to try it? 
come on and wet your horns. Apparently, nobody took him up on the challenge. Honest Abe currently holds the honor of Outstanding American in the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. Fantastic. Bonus fact, the Lincoln bedroom was not Lincoln's bedroom. It was his personal office. So if you sleep in the Lincoln bedroom, you're sleeping in Lincoln's office. And actually, it's a bit cooler than it just being his bedroom because this is where he signed the Emancipation Proclamation. All right, well, that's it for me. And remember, it's not that our liberal friends are ignorant. It's just they know so much. That isn't so. Good night. Together, with God's help, we can and will resolve the problems which now confront us. And after all, why shouldn't we believe that? We are Americans. God bless you and thank you.